0: Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. For 18 years, I've interviewed authors that have shared how to achieve good health and happiness through proper diet, nutrition, exercise, meditation, and yoga. But none of these topics are as powerful as the one we're covering today. It's called HOPE. Hope is the belief that circumstances will get better no matter how big or small. It's often what cures a terminal cancer patient that traditional medicine has given up on. Or a man who has a family to support that just lost his job but knows new employment is just around the corner. Hope is vital for survival. In fact, virtually everyone who survives a life-threatening ordeal will point to hope as being the one thing that got them through it. Libby Gill, author of The Hope-Driven Leader, joins us to share the connection between hope and health. Don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one bestselling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is the former head of communications and public relations for Sony, Universal, and Turner Broadcasting. She's the CEO of LA-based executive coaching and leadership consulting firm, where she ignites performance from leaders at Disney, Honda, Microsoft, and Viacom, just to name a few. She's the author of four books, including the award-winning You Unstuck and Capture the Mindshare and the Market Share Will Follow. She shared her successful strategies on CNN, NPR, and the Today Show, the New York Times-Wall Street Journal, and many more. Her latest book is called The Hope-Driven Leader, Harness the Power of Positivity. Welcome to the show, Libby Gill.
1: Thank you, Dr. Friedman. Happy to be here.
0: Oh, it's great. You know, in your book, you talk about uh, the the connection that hope plays on health and considering heart disease, diabetes, and cancer is an all-time high. Share how hope can play a key role in getting healthier
1: fascinating to me. I mean, it seems intuitively or emotionally we might attach, yeah, if you're hopeful about life in general, maybe that can make you healthier. But the science behind that is what I found really fascinating, the evidence and the data. I mean, things like the the most compelling to me, or well, there were lots of things as I began to study this, but Basically, if you have hope, and that is, it comes out of both medicine and positive psychology, defined as having a future-focused vision, where you link belief to behavior. So it's, it's the difference between false hope, which is that kind of rose-colored glasses, and true hope, where you see that there are going to be challenges and pitfalls, and yet you go for that anyway. You move forward despite all the challenges in front of you. And if you think you've got a a future-focused vision, you see this future, you want to go for it, you're realistic about the obstacles, well, obviously that includes taking good care of yourself. But it gets even more specific than that, which is what I really found fascinating about studying this topic.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. There's a big connection between hope and health. And I remember reading about a man who was told by his doctor that he had terminal cancer and there was no hope of him living beyond six months. And sure enough, just as the doctor predicted, this man died six months later. And the autopsy showed something rather rather startling. He didn't have cancer. In fact, he was misdiagnosed. But because he had given up hope, he was mentally and physically prepared to die. And when I read that, I was like, wow, I mean, that's like that speaks volumes.
1: See, that's about the the expectation and belief. And and here's a his simple example, and this is in my book, The Hope-Driven Leader. There was a study done at Baylor, and it was one of those, as you know, and I'm not a doctor, but one of the most common surgeries is arthroscopic knee surgery. And so at Baylor, they took a, a group of people who were ready for that surgery, and they split them into three subgroups. Two were having actual surgeries, different treatments, but actual surgery, and the third group was a placebo group. Now, the placebo group was treated just like the others as, you know, the only way to get a good outcome for your study, so they went through the whole, the prep, the OR, the post, the rehab, but they were told, you know, there's going to be pain, there's going to be a a long-term rehab, all of those things. So their their belief was that they were going to get better. Unlike your example, they were told, you're going to be okay if you do the physical therapy and the exercises that you need to do. And, you know, here are the doctors in their white coats with the level of authority. So folks were believing them. And the outcome, the long-term outcome of the three groups was virtually identical. The two groups that had the actual surgery were about the same in terms of outcome as the group that had the placebo because they expected there to be some discomfort, some pain, the fact that they were going to have to show up for their PT, all of those things. But, just like the other way around, had they been told, "Well, hey, you guys are getting a placebo treatment and there's you know good luck out there, uh, they would have had a completely different outcome. but it's not just that kind of mind over matter kind of woo woo sort of mysticism it's as you can you can enlighten me more about, but it was the fact that your brain releases the kind of chemicals that you need, the endorphins you need, the enkephalins that you need to suppress pain and to boost your, your mood and your immunity. So it's a real physical and physiological change that takes place in the body.
0: Yeah. You know, interesting. I remember about 15 years ago reading the front page of the newspaper and seeing the headline, America Loses Hope. And it really hit me. And I read on and I quickly discovered they were talking about Bob Hope, but for a second there I thought that they were sharing a national study on how hopeless we've all become. And you know, while we can't bring Bob Hope back, I'm glad that your book is definitely bringing much needed hope back to America. So I have to say that I did well, enjoy reading it.
1: Thank you. And you know, it's interesting even though there's a, there are a lot of studies that point to the fact that we're more globally we're more literate, we're more healthy, there's less poverty in the world, but I think individually there is a level of hopelessness that comes or even despair that comes out of this the rapidity of change we're so overwhelmed with the complexity of our lives the amount of information I mean even in our personal lives who would have thought before a, a decade or so ago you you know you'd jump in somebody's Prius to go to the airport I just everything has changed from from Uber to our phones to just the way we we gather and meet with other people, certainly relationships and dating, all of that. And with that comes a level of of overwhelm and fear. I think that is, and, and hope is the answer to that, because it's really about grounded in practicality. And if you can see the future and you can recognize the steps and the pathway, then you can make a path towards that. You can get there.
0: Great stuff. Is there a difference? That's really what yeah. I'm wondering, yeah. The, the word hope and optimism, are they the same or is there a difference between the two? Share that.
1: There, there's really a difference from hope, optimism, and even happiness. Optimism is a good thing. I mean, I consider myself one of those glass half full versus half empty people. But optimism is generally a everything's going to turn out okay as opposed to being grounded to a specific action, it is—it's a, a sense of well-being that—that's not tied to your specific steps that you're taking. Whereas hope is situational, specific, and action-based. If I—if I hope for this outcome, that means I'm going to take these steps towards it. And then happiness, of course, also a great thing is—is is that sense of well-being. Minus the major stressors of life. So they're all sort of emotional cousins. But hope is the one that links belief to behavior. If I believe this and act accordingly, this is the outcome I can't expect.
0: Got it. So optimism would be my glass is half full. Hope is I hope I have a glass to fill.
1: <laughs> right, and here's what I'm going to do to make sure that I have one.
0: Exactly, I love that. That's great. And as I mentioned, I read your book, thoroughly enjoyed it, and it's funny how we take words at face value without deciphering their true meaning. I know in my, in my practice, I focus on the word "diet. It comes from the Greek word diatia, which means way of living, and that's the key to achieving permanent weight loss. Look at the word In your book, you share the definition of hope as originating from the old English word "hopion," which means to leap forward with ex. Expectation, and then you go on to talk about the words willpower and why we should change that to waypower. Share the difference of those right. two for the listeners.
1: Right. I mean, and if you think about that Hopiend leap forward with expectation, it gives you a, it has a sense of energy, it has a sense of action or buoyancy to it, and the idea of willpower, which again, a great thing, that sort of mental stamina, grit, uh, perseverance, but waypower is a sense that there are multiple pathways to an end goal. And for me, as an executive coach, this is especially important in the workplace because if you think, or or just in life, if you think there's one way or the way to do something and then that door gets slammed in your face, you're sort of at the end of the road. But if you think of way power as multiple pathways to the end result, that you've got all these different roads that you can take. If one option doesn't work, you try something else. And I've heard you talk about that with with pain and with diets and with all the things that you deal with. You've got to try different things till you figure out what works for you in terms of your own health. And, and in the workplace, you've got to allow people – I mean, we no longer live in that assembly line age. We live in a world of ideas and information and imagination – so when you give people the power to find their own pathway, you give them ownership. And I think if we take that in our own lives and say, hey, I'm in char- I've am in i got a great doctor or a team of doctors, but I'm in charge of my health. I've got to figure out what works for me. I've got to try all those pathways. I just listened to your, your diet for back pain. And I thought, whoa, I've got to try a few of those things. I'm not sure I've tried all of those. And it was so fascinating to hear your conversation about, well, you know, kale's great for some people and not so good for others. And while we think green drinks are great, it's not for everyone. So we really do have to take sort of stewardship of our own health and our own happiness. And, and hope is a big piece of that. To me, it's, it's like the jet fuel for a better right. life.
0: Yeah, and I love how you studied successful people and you found in your book you said successful people in life see multiple pathways to success, not just one. So it's you know, so it hits in all avenues.
1: It really does. And and I'll tell you one of the, the things that I found in, in doing the research, and I'm a little bit of a science nerd, even though I'm not a scientist, I love to see what the data says about things that that we think are probably true, but don't know for sure. And I found one study out of the University of Texas that looked at the relationship between hopelessness and mortality. To see if there was a link between between the two, why some people, when you factor out, you know, trauma, accidents, major health issues, why some people just live longer. And in this study, they looked at elderly Mexican Americans and European Americans. That was their population around San Antonio. And they asked the participants if they were hopeful about the future. So ninety-one percent of them said yes. I, we're hopeful. Nine percent said, no, not really. And then they went back five years later without giving any lifestyle or health advice to this group, just studying them. And they found that 29 percent of the group that said they were hopeless had died. Well, of the hopeful people, 11 percent had died. So what does that tell you? If we feel like we've got something to live for and and all of those great studies like the Blue Zone studies and all of those things about the nanogenarians, you know, people that live to these long, healthy lives, there are some common factors about having a sense of purpose, having a community, moving your body every day, all of those things, a healthy diet. And when we take those into our daily lives and figure out, okay, I may not be able to do Everything at once. But I'm going to start slowly adopting all these principles to live by. I'm going to feel better. I'm going to have more energy. I'm going to have better relationships. And why would we not do that with, with hope, that, that link of belief and behavior to drive us forward?
0: Yeah, you know, I definitely resonated with the part of your book that said, you know, focusing on on hope for the future. And I'm an overachiever, and people always ask my secret to achieving success, and I tell them, it's because I remain hopeful on a plan C before I ever begin plan A. I always do that. And prior to starting my yeah. book, Food Sanity, I remained hopeful it would be a documentary. And that was before I ever typed one word on the manuscript. And I recently received some great news. Food Sanity is going to be a film and currently in the works. So it really works. How can people living for today f- focus more on hope for tomorrow? What, what's a secret? I mean, you know, what we're saying is important. Is it some people don't have the ability or will you, can you train them through your book?
1: Well, I think we all have the ability, and it's it's really a matter of – and, and you know, we've got a high level of negativity bias. We are – we're pretty defenseless creatures as animals. You know, we can't run very fast. We don't have sharp claws. So we are very much attuned to looking for the negatives, looking for the danger, looking for all of the, the predators in our world. That, that hasn't changed much in, in right. terms of our brain development over centuries. So we're just wired that way, which is why we stay alive. But when we understand the distinction of real danger versus perceived danger, and we can dial that down, we can tone some of that down, that, that negativity, which turns into this sort of that inner chatter of, ooh, I can't do this, I can't do that, and do what you said, just like oh, I'm going to write this book, and guess what? It's going to be a documentary. Now, the universe and everything out there has to conspire in your favor occasionally. I do believe in that. There are some things that are beyond our control. But you could have said, oh, why bother? I'm not even going to write that book. And gee, why would I even get it out there in terms of a documentary? Nobody's going to pick that up. And there are so many people that do this. They opt out before they even give themselves the chance to succeed. So the first thing to do is—it's almost like the the old fashioned radio from the '40s. We got to dial down that negative chatter and and turn up the positive. And that may sound a little Pollyanna-ish, but I've always had this sense of you could lose just about everything, including your health. I mean, look at Stephen Hawking and. and Victor Frankl and all the other people in the world who turned what looked like the most dire circumstances of life into positive behaviors and outcomes that other people could benefit by. So when we dial down that negative and we tune into the positive, we're pretty much unstoppable. And there's a level of reality that comes in. I, I you know, I, I don't think a lot of my clients that I work with in their 40s or 50s will probably be professional baseball players or ballerinas or astronauts at this stage, but I'm not ruling it out either. But I do right. think when we when we dwell in the, the sort of, we overlay our passion and our curiosity and our excitement about life with just that sort of undercurrent of pragmatism, then we can accomplish just about anything that's humanly possible. And, and you just, it's that perseverance and that sense of Future-focused vision that just feeds it and drives it. I'm going to try this next, and I'm going to, and just like you, I'm I'm a pretty achievement-based person. Uh, And you know, some people I was I was once called a malcontent. Nothing was ever good enough, and my response to that was, "Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I think so." There's a little bit of that in all of us who want to achieve. We're just not quite satisfied with the status quo. There's always something a little better out there, and that's a good thing.
0: So true. You know, you bring up a point like, you know, not everybody can be a baseball player. Maybe they have a passion. They love baseball. They want to be a baseball player. But maybe it's not for them. But you know what? Stay hopeful. And you know what? You may end up working for ESPN and you may actually be filming the, the baseball game. So in other words, you could still be in the field, maybe not swinging that bat. A coach
1: your little league team. Or yeah, wait, absolutely. Be part of it. Exactly. You find that value about it that drives you or speaks to you. I can't tell you how many people I've sent back to sing in their church choirs. It's like, you want to be musical? Yeah, maybe you may. you don't want to quit your day job and, and bet everything on that when you've got a mortgage and kids in college, but it doesn't mean you can't sing. So go do it. Find a way to express that piece of yourself, either professionally or personally, and uh, and try those things out i i do think it's that sense of curiosity and the sense of hopefulness that life is going to get just a little better every day if we if we work at it if we continue to you know get out of bed in the morning and do it
0: yeah, and you talk about that negative chatter we have. One, I hear so much people saying, hey, we aren't promised tomorrow, so just live in the moment. And in your book, you really share how that's not a healthy outlook and we need to always think about tomorrow. And if so many people are like they, they're living for today. It will share the significance of they really need to start looking for tomorrow and planning.
1: Well, I think if you look at how you really think and that living in the moment is great in short bursts, and I get that when I am writing, or in some sort of creative endeavor, or running, and we all have those moments of unitasking that are great, because you feel that sense of flow, uh, that that great book about being in the flow, and you truly get that, but most of the time, we're time-shifting. We're going backwards, thinking about something that's happened. We're moving forward. We're moving sideways. We don't really live in the moment for long periods of time. And I think if we don't see that future, we're, we're shortchanging ourselves. In fact, there's one great, uh, one of the great emotional intelligence founders said, you know, it, the more we can identify and picture our future self, the more likely we are to become that self. So I think when you've got a sense of, what are you you going to be like as an 80-year-old? And I'm now in my early 60s. It's like, what am I going to be? I want to be one of those cool, hip 60-year-olds who's in great health and traveling the world and feeling great about life. And, you know, I do travel internationally. I just got married a couple weeks ago. So, you know, life changes if you allow it and you reinforce those changes. So think about who you're gonna be in your old age. My mom lived until ninety seven and she was a she was a pilot in her twenties and a golfer and she started race ocean race sailing in her sixties. You know, nobody was stopping her. So it's really having that vivid picture and it's it's not an abstract one it's I see myself. I know what I'm going to look like, what I'm going to be wearing, what I'm going to be studying and learning, who's going to be around me. And it's a pretty exciting picture of the future. I'm going to just keep marching towards that. But most of us think, oh, you know, you're asking for trouble if you identify the future. You know, you're just asking to get hit by a bus. Well, okay, you can think that if you want to, or you can think, I've got 20 or 30 or 50 more years to to give uh my wisdom and my expertise to others and to have a great life for myself and my family. So it's really our choice. We can decide to it is goes back to that half empty or half full. I'll take the half full any time.
0: Oh, yeah. One of my favorite quotes is from Zig Ziglar. He said, if you do what you always did, you'll get what you always got. And I read that you were inspirational in the launch of the Dr. Phil empire. And he too coined a phrase that resonated with me. And how's that working for you? <laughs> and as for I loved it. It's like everybody just stopped. They go, it's not. Well, change it. You know, as a consultant, when you deal with people that are stuck on this hamster wheel in life, is there one tip you can share just to get them off of it? Because it sounds great. And it's a great quote. Is there one thing they can do today to make themselves off that hamster wheel tomorrow?
1: Yes. It's one quote in three steps. Clarify the vision of the life you want to live, simplify the path to getting there, and then execute the plan. Go after it. So that's is really as difficult and as simple as it can be.
0: Oh, fantastic. We got one minute left. Is there something hopeful, a little tidbit that we should know? Why should listeners get this book? Uh, which I love, by the way. Well, I, should.
1: that's a good tidbit. They can go right to my website at LibbyGill.com. In fact, they can download the first chapter and check it out for themselves or Amazon or anywhere else they buy books. And I will tell you this, Dr. Friedman, if anybody wants to email me direct with a question, just say put Dr. Friedman or To Your Good Health in, your, in the subject line and ask a question about life or career. Happy to answer them.
0: Wow, you've got her consult work right there. That's awesome. So yeah, so give give that again for the listeners. Libby Gill. Uh huh.
1: It's libby at libbygill dot com, or just go to my website libby at libbygill dot com. And as you and I both know, there's only a handful of people in the world that will take you up on those offers. So those are the hopeful people that seek action, and it's it's always fun when I speak. I'll throw that out, and I know about, you know, about 5% of real action takers in the room that want to try something new and different.
0: Yeah, so true. Well, thanks so much for bringing hope to us all. And anybody out there, if you want to get your copy of The Hope Driven Leader, great book. You want to go to LibbyGill.com. And while you're there, be sure and check out her video library and hopeful articles. And you can follow Libby on Facebook at Libby.Gill.58. And on Twitter, at Libby Gill, for my daily posts and tweets, I'm at Dr. David Friedman. If you heard Libby share something today that would benefit somebody needing hope in their life, maybe they couldn't tune in, send them a link to this podcast. It's available at to you, goodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com. And while you're there, be sure and check out our Podcast Library and share these segments with your friends, family members, and coworkers and on social media. This information's too important. We need to spread this hopeful word to the masses. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come, stay tuned and stay well.